Hello, everyone, and welcome to Off the Block Swimming Podcast. This is episode number 17. Thank you all very much for downloading our show today. Wherever you are right now listening, I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, the Tokyo Olympic stars just keep on coming today as we sit down and chat with 10-kilometer open water bronze medalist of Australia, Miss Karina Lee. But before we do that, just want to do another quick shout out to our fantastic sponsors, Arena Australia and Arena NZ. They are truly the best brands in the business, especially when it comes to race suits. Just look at the fastest breaststroker of all time, Mr. Adam Peaty. What does he wear? He races in Arena. They are just that good. So if you're looking for a new race suit right now, coming out of lockdown, going back into summer, check out their websites to find all the latest deals and specials. For now, though, it's on with the show. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two one-hundreds in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Vandenhoek's hand. But the symmetry of all eyes is the great Phantom Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavez in the white hats. Vets in the black hats. And Vets has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe to Thorpe. Thorpe for the hall. Thorpe goes in. Australia win. Joining me today on the show is not only an Olympian from Tokyo, but Olympic bronze medalist. As she swam the race of her life a week ago in the women's 10-kilometer open water event, making almost two hours of swimming seem a very nerve-wracking and anxious bit of television. Uh, I've never thought that would actually happen in an overwater event, Karina, but it actually did. I got very nervous, especially towards the back end. We'll get to that. Uh, very proud to have her back on the show. She's the first Australian male or female to win a medal in an open water swimming at the Olympic Games. It is a great pleasure to have on Olympic medalist Karina Lee. Karina, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Um yeah, I can't believe it's actually been a week now. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a week and it's been quite a while since we chatted last and the last time we didn't have Zoom, so we were just uh, doing it over the phone, but it's been a while. It seems like it, it's been a long time. I know sometimes we chat back and forwards on uh, Instagram, but this is the first time we're having a chat in a long time. How are you going? And as you said, it's been about a week. Has it all sunk in yet what you're able to do over there or are you still kind of just coming to grips with it? Oh, I mean, I think I am still a little bit coming to grips with it. Um, I mean, I, it will be a lot better when I, I get to go and, you know, show it off to my family and friends and celebrate a little bit with them. But, yeah, it's the two-week quarantine at the moment. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm making the most of some, some downtime now, though. <laughs> Now, I mentioned to you just before we started, I made the mistake. I spoke to Zach Stubblity Cook and I forgot all about the medal. Can we see the medals? Can we see what it looks like and just describe it for the yeah. listeners out there? You definitely can. It's right here um, at my bronze medal. Yes, size um, it. Yeah, it's, um, it's very heavy, actually. So I was very surprised by that. But, yeah, the bronze medal. Um, made from um, recycled materials so that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah they're all about the recycling over in in japan aren't they which is awesome and yeah they did look very very <laughs> chunky did it surprise you when you first ha put it around your neck 
Yeah. Gosh, I was like, I'm going to strain my neck. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably already sore after the 10 kilometers, then they put that on you and you had to go get a massage. (laughs) 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 Now, mate, we'll get to the race in a minute, but for all the listeners out there who have not heard your story, and shame on you because she has been on Off the Blocks before and shared her uh, unbelievable story before, but if you haven't and you're not aware, Karina actually qualified for the Olympics about, what, 18 months ago or something like that. Talk to us about how, you know, it felt having an 18-month preparation, that's with lockdown, with COVID, all of that sort of going through it. Now, from the outside looking in, I'm sure people could say, well, you know, what's the problem? She had an easy job. She knew she was going. From my perspective and why I'm asking the question, I think you had one hell of a job because you had 18 months to stay motivated, to stay firing, to stay fit, to stay fast. Whereas the swimmers had about five weeks, sorry, the the swimmers in the pool had five weeks between trials and, and the games. You had, as I said, about 18 months. Talk to us about that and how difficult was it? Yeah, um, I qualified back in in July 2019 at the World Championships. Um, so two years, god damn. And you know, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> quite a while ago. Um, and even thinking then, like it was a year before um, the Olympics uh, were meant to be held in 2020. And I remember, yeah, I just remember thinking, like, oh, that's you know, quite a long way away. And and people were asking me then, like you know, now that you're qualified, how are you going to, you know, stay motivated? And because, you know, when when you're qualifying, say, five weeks before, you, you have got that motivation and you're, you're driving to qualify and then you've got that next drive when you're actually competing. And, and a year was such a long time. But I, um, I, I made sure I pushed myself so much in training and always taking it step by step. I... I I created little goals, ticked them off along the way. Um, and, you know, we got to, what was it, February when in 2020 when there was a little bit of talk about um, the Olympics maybe not happening or being yeah. postponed. And for me, um, I was a little bit worried then, but I, I was really positive still. Um, and then, yeah, March, I think we went into to lockdown and that, that's when we heard... Well, first of all, we heard um, that um, the Olympics were still going ahead, but Australia wasn't going to send a team. Um, for me, that was so, so hard to hear. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I understood and, and I knew that they were doing that for our safety, but that was absolutely devastating. Can imagine. So, you know, the next day or two, was when it was announced that the Olympics was actually going to be postponed. So to me, that was a little bit of a, of a win. <laughs> that was definitely a better of the, the two options. So um, that's when I started like feeling really positive again. And um, yeah, and I, and I did have that, have that drive there to keep training. So even though we're in lockdown, I was really lucky to have the beach right near me. Um, so I was able to to train uh, in the beach uh, by myself, but uh, it was still water to train in. I was so, so lucky to be able to do that. Um, you know, it wasn't my normal training, but it was something. It was something to keep fit. And, um, yeah, you know, coming, coming out of lockdown, I, I think I had this, like, bit of a refresh, I guess. Yeah. I felt, you know, you, 
you they say like you don't know how much you you love something until it's taken away from you so I think coming out of it yeah I I just had this new drive and um, I got back into the pool and it, it took a little while to build back up but once I built up it was like all, all systems go and and it was amazing to see like how quickly I came back um, after COVID and and yeah and the Olympics you know I think it was when when we got told it was a year away you know I'm like okay well we're back to back to where we were and yeah the same same processes go um in the lead up though I I didn't have many open water competitions so it was all about kind of getting faster in the pool and doing lots of pool competitions the the 1500 actually down to the 200 and I was able to to do P in all of those along the way um, which really I thought you know set me up to be able to have a bit of speed at the end of my 10 kilometer um, but back in um, back in December in, in 2020 I actually had a little bit of a setback um, that that I didn't talk about too much because it was it was about me trying to trying to stay really positive through it but yeah. Um, yeah, I got a, got a bit of a, a shoulder injury. Um, so the second half of December, all of January and half of February, it was just me kicking the whole time. So it was a little bit worrying, um, especially because I had national open water coming up. Yep. Um, and I was, I really wanted to do that because, um, it was going to be my only 10 kilometer race before the Olympics. So I thought it was a really important race for me to do. Um, and I was actually, for me, <laughs> I was quite glad when I heard that it, it got postponed and pushed a little bit further back because it actually gave me more of a chance that I was actually going to be able to compete in it um, because if it was when it was originally, I, I wouldn't have been on the start line there, uh, which was, would have been really disappointing. Um, yeah, I think it was two weeks back in the water and I was only doing half swimming, half kicking, some with fins on and yeah. And, and that's when I had to pull out a 10 K. Um, and I guess that I, I'm not generally a nervous person or, or maybe I am a nervous person, but I, I've learned how to deal with those nerves really, really well. But going into Australian nationals, I was so nervous just just thinking about it would make me nearly feel sick and that was something that I that I was not used to that feeling and you know I it, it was very uncomfortable for me but um I did try, try to stay as positive as I could going in but I was scared that I wouldn't even make the distance to be honest um wow. so me and my coach sat down and we just kind of thought about it a little bit and said well what you're going to get out of this is, is experience and race practice. So internationally, you're not going to go out and you're not going to lead from start to finish. Mm-hmm. You need to treat this like an international race. So that was when the strategy of staying in the pack the whole race until the end um, came into play. So um, that's kind of what my, brought my nerves down to that, you know, I'm, I'm just going to stay in that pack and, whatever happens happens in the end um and I knew the girls would would give me a really good race so uh, I'm I'm really lucky and I was so surprised actually to come out with the win in that um and but I did I'm glad that 
I was able to have that race and I was able to, to stay within that pack and gain that experience. And it gave me a chance to practice my, my feeding strategies for Tokyo as well, which was really good. So I'm so happy I was able to do that, that 10K. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I, I didn't actually get a full week's worth of, um, well, full load training in until after pool nationals uh, in April. So it was a little bit of um, touch and go there, but uh, I think it worked really well with my, with my coach and my physio uh, even even my dietitian to to try and get me as fit as possible in that time and you know I did a lot of cycling during that time too just to keep that kind of fitness up so yeah in the in the end it worked out really well wow yeah yeah you could say that it definitely worked out very well and thank you for giving us a great insight I think for all the listeners out there they've definitely got a much better appreciation now as I said I think from the outside looking in if you don't know your story and of the success we had in the pool uh, throughout the first week, everyone's oh, how good's this? Karina got a bronze medal. Fantastic. But for me, knowing you and knowing your story, there's so much more that goes into that bronze medal. So thank you very much for, for giving the listeners uh, a bit of an insight there. Now, more insight. We are always about the insight here because we're listeners and you guys are the ones that are there. Talk to us about the trip over to Tokyo um, and then, you know, your first few days, sort of before competition. What was the flight like? You and Kai went over um obviously i think it was what in the middle or the back end of that first week of of competition so you had a bit of a different experience to the swimmers talk to us about you know your experience before competition over there yeah well um i did my training camp actually in darwin and um kai was actually uh in europe in spain so we were um separated in that that kind of sense um and yeah, I flew, I flew over, I think, I can't remember how many days into the pool competition, but it was definitely at the back end. Um, I flew straight from, from Sydney to Tokyo, so it was a, it was a nice, easy flight there. Um, I think it was only about nine hours, so mm. that was pretty good. Um, what movies did you watch? Did you watch any movies or are you a book reader? Um, I'm generally a book reader, but I did watch one movie. Um, I watched The Lion King. And I hadn't actually watched the new one yet. So, yeah, I loved it. It was great. You you rated it? (laughs) Um, I did. I really enjoyed that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I got into the, well, when we got into the airport, um, we we have to, you know, do a COVID test and wait for our um, negative result and... Um, then we have to wait to get on a bus to the village. And I think all up, that was three hours maybe of waiting in the airport, um, which is actually a lot quicker than I heard a lot of other people had to, to endure. So I was lucky in that sense. Um, but I got into the village, I think it was around midnight. And, yeah, it was it was a little bit funny because I was, you know, we just get rushed in and pretty much I had to go straight to bed. So, um, yeah, I, I got into my room and had a shower, went to bed, but I had to get up early in the next morning for training. And, you know, the, the people, the girls in my apartment were still racing. So they were asleep when I got there. And, um, yeah, we you know we have to wear a certain uniform when we, um, when we go around the village. So I was like really worried the next morning you know, having to get up early if the girls went up because I hadn't hadn't received my uniform yet. It was in another room and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but it was actually a really good when I woke up. Um, the girls were up too, so I was able to, you know, ask them questions and find my uniform and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the first day in the village was actually quite hectic, you know, just trying to find out where everything was and, um, you know, walking to buses and, and everything like that. And I think the first day um, or the first time going to the dining hall, um, I had someone to walk with, so that was really good. Um, but the second time going to the dining hall, I had to walk there alone. And, you know, when you walk with other people, you don't really take notice, <laughs> well, I don't, <laughs> of um, the surroundings. So uh-huh. I remember walking there by myself and going, oh, like, I don't know where to go. <laughs> so that was like finding that. Um, I just walked, like everybody was walking to that took me there so that was good i know exactly what you mean mate all the (laughs) listeners will be thinking right now this happens when you're driving so so often you're a passenger and someone will say oh we've been here a million times how do you not know how to get them i don't pay attention when you're driving yeah no exactly exactly (laughs) like that um but yeah after the first day i really settled in and um I, I had been to World Uni Games before, so I feel like World Uni Games was like a mini version of the Olympics. So I think that really prepared me well for for village life, I guess. <laughs> Did you get to see any of the swimming before you started? Like, obviously, it was, as I said, towards the back end. I don't know if you actually got into the pool to see it, but did you get to watch any of the big races at the end? And did any of them fire you up and get you ready to, to get in yourself? Yeah, so... Uh- um, we used the same training pool as them, which was at their competition venue. So we were in the stands for a couple of sessions, which was amazing. Oh, awesome. um, yeah, I, I got to watch Kaylee um, win the 200 backstroke and M get third. And um, I watched um, Emma and Kate in the 100 free. You know, it, it was amazing to be in the stands. It, it definitely got me pumped up. Um, the last day we... Um, me and Kai watched from the village um, their last session and even that atmosphere was absolutely amazing. The, the amount of athletes that were out on the deck chairs watching the screen um, and cheering on the Aussies was, was incredible. So it was a really cool experience. Now, we've talked about um, obviously the, the swimmers in the pool there. Now, we've got to talk to you about the conditions over there in Tokyo. Now, you were not like the swimmers in the pool. You didn't, you know, they're a bit pampered. Let's be honest. It's 26 degrees water temperature, probably controlled uh, pool deck temperatures around. Like it's probably all just beautiful, luxurious. You guys didn't get that. You had heat, the humidity, the water temps were, well, they say 29, but let's be honest, how can you test the temperature of all of the water? So I'm sure it was above that in in many places. Talk to me about that. Um, Did it concern you? Have you been in those sort of conditions before? And as a little insight to the listeners, how does that sort of play a difference in your race strategy or planning as opposed to, say, swimming at Brighton in Adelaide? Yeah, well, um, we... Me and Kai came over to do the test event in uh, 2019. So we we had the opportunities to swim on that race course. Um, And it was 31 degrees when we raced it there um, then. So that's kind of what we went into expecting. So very early on, um, we were looking at what strategies we needed to put in place. Um, And so I guess the the start of all of that was um, planning out my race nutrition um and how i'm going to stay cool and hydrated um before and and during the race um 
So I had a good two years to, to perfect that. Um, but it actually, it, I normally feed once or twice um, in a 10 kilometer. And um, this was getting me to feed um, four times just to keep that high hydration in. And it was a lot of hyperhydration before I started the race as well. And like things like cooling vests to, to cool me down. Um, before, um, well, in the lead up to uh, the games, um, we were able to heat a 25 meter pool up to 31, 32 degrees. And I trained in there once a week for, for six weeks. Uh, so I think that really prepared me uh, a lot. <laughs> and um, yeah, so lucky to, to be able to access that. Uh, as for the actual race uh it was yeah it was 29.5 or something um and you know that's a lot cooler than what we were actually expecting so that was a little win in that area but mm. it's still very hot especially yeah. for two hours um <laughs> i feel like i didn't feel overheated too much in the beginning of the race um Maybe the second lap where the pace went on a little bit when the Americans started leading, mm-hmm. uh, I started feeling quite hot, but that's when I thought to myself that I needed to just to relax a little bit. You know, other people will do the chasing. I just need to put myself in a, in a good position on, on someone's feet and, and I was able to cool down a lot from that. So, um, yeah, it, probably the last two laps was where I felt really, really hot. Um, and it started getting quite uncomfortable. Um, but you know, once the race was over, it wasn't too hard to, to cool down after that either. Yeah. Well, you brought me straight into it. Let's get stuck into the race. Obviously, um, you know, we, we had a little chat there about the race plan. What were your nerves like before this race? Because this is obviously the biggest race of your life. This is the Olympic games. Um, you know, what was your strategy going in? Um, you know, can you give us a bit of an insight into sort of what you and JR's race plan was? I think you've given us a little bit there already, but what was your race plan going in? Um, we'll get more into it as we yeah. go in. But, yeah, what were your nerves like and what was the, you know, they always say, and we, I think I mentioned this to you on the first podcast with Open Water, you know, everyone's got a plan to get kicked in the face. So <laughs> what was your plan going in and did it change once you started going? Yeah, um, well, my nerves weren't actually too bad um, leading in at all. I, I was able to stay calm. And I think on, on the top of my mind, every time I kind of thought about the race a little bit, I was just like, well, I've raced all of these girls before and, and it's no different to any other race that I have raced them. Like, yes, there's going to be more people watching um, on the TV and stuff like that, but at the same time, it's nothing that I haven't done before. And that's the, the thought pattern that was going through my head all the time. Um, and, you know, I think even on the day, I was just so happy and so grateful to be, be there. And I think, you know, it was just, yeah, it was just amazing. And I, and I was just super, super calm and just super happy. And, and I think that's really important um, going into a race, just, just being happy to be there kind of thing. Um, as for the race plan, um, we had kind of been talking about it like through our training sessions in, in the, like even the year before. Um, 
it was trying, I mean, I suppose this isn't really a, a race strategy, more of a training strategy leading into the race strategy, but um, the goal was to try and in training sit on a 110 pace as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. So all of my training, it was like holding 110 or under um, for me trying to keep at that 46 to 48 stroke rate at that 110 pace and keeping my heart rate as low as possible. Um, and then always at the end of training sessions, we'd, we'd spike up and we'd, we'd try and get that little bit more off that 110 pace. And, you know, at the start it was, you know, 110 pace was getting my heart rate right up and my stroke rate was around 50 and, you know, but the more that I did it, the easier and easier it got to just relax in a, in a nice 110 pace kind of, um, yeah, pace, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, so... JR didn't really talk to me about the actual race plan until I, I left um, to go to Tokyo. Um, he, he wasn't coming with me. So normally we wouldn't actually talk about the race plan per se until, you know, the day of the race. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the plan was to just sit as comfortable as possible but up the front in the top six the whole way, um, trying not to do too much work and trying to keep as calm as possible. And then with a kilometre to go, it was just like give it all you got. And and the way he described it was we've we've done this every single session in training for the last year. It was the, you know, the 110 pace as calm as possible and then it's giving everything you got at the end. So hearing it put like that gave me a lot of confidence. I was like, well, yeah, I can do that. Like, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've done it, you know, every single training session. So I think that gave me a little bit of confidence, but then um, that race plan kind of put out of my head a little bit because I don't want to think about it too much um, up until, up until race day. Um, but in the race plan is also feeding strategies and, and what's going into the feeds and, and when I'm going to feed. And that was, um, put into place very early on with my dietitian working with um, my coach as well. Uh, it was actually, I think we had settled on on three feeds about two weeks out of the race, and then the day before my race, um, I decided to chuck another one in there, um, and it was more of a feed to go. If it's easy, take it. If mm. it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. So. Yeah, I mean, I had lots of support helping me with this race plan and and it doesn't, it's not always going to go to plan, but I feel like as much as possible that it, it did actually go to plan. Well, yeah, but as, you, as you're talking about that sort of plan and, and just watching it, it certainly seemed that way. Now, were jumping fish in your plan? Were you, did you plan for jumping fish? <laughs> I did not plan for jumping fish and that is something that, has never happened to me before. Um, yeah, having having a fish jump out of the water and and like well maybe not out of the water but it, but straight into my chest was yeah and definitely a new experience and, and a shock to me. <laughs> oh, I could imagine. Um, yeah, now we saw a few um, you know footages of, of the fish jumping. It lo- almost looks like it was not real and someone was just doing it um, on some video. 
stuff. But no, um, I felt for you, mate. That, that would have been horrifying. Bad enough as it is, and you try to concentrate, and then next minute, kabam, here comes a fish out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, obviously, we don't want to break down. We've talked about the 10Ks. Uh, we've talked about the race. I want to break it down in terms of, you know, it's, we'd be here all day. But that last kilometre, let's talk about that because, as you said, that's where we really turned it on. That's where the race heated up, especially for you, and you really put yourself in a, in a positive spot. Was there someone at that point that you picked to bring you through in that race? Because, obviously, we, we know that it almost branched off into just you three at the end there. So yeah. did, was that a tactical sort of plan from you? Did it just, you know, I don't want to say it was uh, – luck because you had to put yourself there there's nothing lucky about that but did you say to yourself all right here's the line I'm going to go with with this girl here um to be honest I didn't actually know who it was um that I followed I like I saw that she was moving though and I was like okay well this is my time to move too so I'm ready to move but um and I had to make that split decision because there was there was two there was two girls and one didn't look like they were going as fast but they looked like they were more on course Mm. and the other girl split a little bit and was slightly maybe off course um but looking like going a lot faster and so I made that split decision to go on the one that was just slightly off course um because it does get out of the pack a little bit it gets out of trouble yeah uh and yeah, I, I guess that I did make that right decision, and it was it was lucky that I did make that decision. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, but she was absolutely moving, and it was actually really hard to to stay on her feet. It was yeah, in, insane. I was I was going so hard then, but it gave me that little burst of confidence when we were away from the pack a little bit more, um, and then we had you know one other girl kind of with us and the rest just a little bit behind and yes in that moment that it it just took a lot of um positive self-talk um to get me through that and to hang on well yeah as i said you you know we brought a 10 kilometer race down to what a last 400 sprint (laughs) it was a it was a great race um you know as i said i was anxious i ended up pulling the blanket up over my head because i just didn't want like i as i said you know i know you i felt for you i I just wanted to see you get that success so and it was getting so tight so i was like i can't watch um but it was it was a great finish talk to me about your first reaction so obviously we know uh kuna from brazil touched first she was just ahead of you girls um uh, and you and the the netherlands girl pretty much touched together to be honest you could almost share just one medal but anyway bronze silver that's fine um i'm sure you're happy to be on the podium and when you look back at the finish um you know it was so close what was your first reaction when you got through was it just was it jubilation that you'd, you'd done something that you dreamed of for so long? Or be honest, was it relief that you'd finished and you'd done a good job? Um, well, first of all, I'm glad we could um, make two-hour race just a little bit exciting for you. Oh, it, was, it was very exciting. <laughs> um, don't worry. It wasn't just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Finishing, I think it was a little bit of relief. I'm, to be honest, I actually don't even remember remember finishing I think I was in like some kind of like I don't know different state I was so dead and it was a relief and I just like remember just taking a few breaths before I finished and then I looking around and and I was like oh my gosh like I I did get a medal that's insane but then at the same time seeing that it was Anna that won um was actually pretty incredible like 
I don't know if you know much of her backstory, but she's probably the greatest open water, well, I think she is the greatest open water swimmer of all time, but yet to win that Olympic medal. So seeing her win was like, that was really cool. And I remembered like saying to her, oh my God, like you did it. That's so cool. Um, and then, yeah, I, I noticed that I got third. I didn't know whether I had got second or third, but third and I was like okay like that's still pretty amazing but I think looking back at the finish now I'm so angry at myself (laughs) (laughs) like my touch is absolutely awful but as I said I I was somewhere else like (laughs) yeah um but I am I'm just so so happy to to actually be on that podium I don't think anyone can blame you mate (laughs) that was it was a hard fought race as I said the conditions couldn't have been easy you were overheating at the end you were still cranking on all cylinders as you're coming into that finish so I don't think anybody can blame you now one man who you know uh has to get a lot of credit for helping you here is your amazing coach JR um did you speak to him after the race and what was said can you give us a bit of an insight into into what was said yeah um oh, I, I owe him so much like he's he's done so much for me and he's just been the confidence I guess that I needed um he's always been so so confident in me and um at, at the start it was unbelievable the amount of confidence he had. and I was like what is this guy thinking like <laughs> um but yeah no uh Greg Shaw the open water manager he ran down after my race with JR already on the phone <laughs> so straight after my race I was on the phone to JR and um he was just there like just saying like you know we did it um and he was in tears which made me <laughs> uh come to tears so you can always count on me to have an ugly cry face after a <laughs> race um, but no he was just telling me how proud he was of me and and that we did it and that we achieved it so it was really cool um being able to talk to him straight after the race and and hearing that from him. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, you know, a lot of the Aussie swim coaches got a lot of credit over the Olympic Games, but I wanted to make sure JR got uh, the credit he deserves as well. A legend of Australian swimming, uh, absolutely. Now, another great support for you during your career has been your parents. I've had the pleasure of meeting them, even spending a week with them in Adelaide for trials once and having a few drinks with your dad. That was a lot of fun. How important... <laughs> Uh, have they been to your, your journey and, and, you know, seeing where you've come now? Yeah, my mum my and dad have been incredible. They've, they've been the biggest support. Um, like, you know, from, from waking up early when I was young and taking me swimming and, you know, just always being there for me. I mean, when I was living at home, I'd always get back from training and there'd be a meal cooked <laughs> ready for me. And it, it's made me appreciate it since more, even more since moving out of home and, you know, having to come home and <laughs> cook dinner and, and do all these other things that that was just done for me. So um, I, I owe them so much. And yeah, they've just been so, so supportive throughout this, this whole thing. But, you know, also um, my fiance, I mean, it <laughs> can't be easy on him. Um, I've had to be quite quite selfish with the the things that I have to do and, and my training requirements and all that kind of stuff. So um, it, he's been amazing to, to stand by me during that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a testament to obviously the team that, you know, you guys put around you and that help you get there. And sometimes we often think about team, we think of physio, we think of coach, but um, for, from a coach looking in, we know that the team also, as you said, includes fiancés, it includes family, it includes friends as well. And 
there's a lot of moving parts that go into it. So, uh, yeah, you know, massive congratulations to everyone. Now, did you get to see Kai race as well? And how proud are you of, of his efforts as well? Yeah, I got to go and watch Kai um, and fire out. That men's race was something so different. <laughs> and it looked incredibly, incredibly tough. And for Kai to, to hang in there and to be able to bring another level and, and overtake so many people in the last half of the race is insane. And, and 12th is incredible and it's up there with one of our best achievements. So... Yeah, I'm so proud of him. He he did so well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Kai, if you're listening, mate, I will get you on the podcast as well. It's okay. You don't need a, a medal to get on off the block. So I'll, I'll get you on for, for a chat as well, no doubt. Now, did any other sports catch your eye? Obviously, you didn't get over there straight away, so you might have got to watch a bit before you left. Did you get to watch any um, while you were there? Any other sports that you got to see? I mean, I, I didn't get to go and watch them in person um but you know I, i'm all about watching them on tv it's been great and mm. i don't know i'm just like i'm in awe of all the sports it's incredible and you know even going into the village and and you know you see the other the people from the sports and you're like oh my god like they're the water polo players they're so amazing like <laughs> oh my god the rowers and the kayakers and the basketballers i was just like you know fangirling everyone um but something that I was like really intrigued by before, like, like it was something that I always wanted to watch was the sport climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get to watch a little bit of that on TV and I thought that was like the coolest. And I'm so amazed by how fast, you know, the speed climbers can move. It's yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> how do you think you'd go if you had to climb up? Well, I have actually had a go at some rock climbing before and, um, I don't even think I reached the top. So they're insane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they are. They're quick, they're strong, uh, and they're fearless as well um, with, with some of the heights they can climb to. Now, mate, I want to finish with a little bit of fun. Uh, I did it with Zach the other day, and it's called, it's a game called Miss the Most. So I'll give you two uh, options, and you tell me which you missed the most, and then I'll move on and we'll escalate it and we'll escalate it and we'll, we'll get to the end. So the first one is because you haven't been driving for quite a while, I'm assuming. You've been, you know, getting driven around in buses and planes. Uh, what do you miss the most, your car or your coffee? Car. Car, all right. What do you miss the most, your car or your favourite takeaway food? Um, favorite takeaway food. Uh, favorite takeaway food or your training squad and pool? Uh, training squad and pool. <laughs> uh, training squad and pool or your own bed? Oh, sorry, my own bed. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one is your own bed or seeing your fiance and family. Oh, fiance and family, definitely. Yes, and as we finished on a high, as we always do, uh, you guys keep yourselves out of trouble. Um, but, yeah, there's no doubt you guys have been away from family and friends and, as you said, your fiance for quite some time. So uh, you must be missing them and can't wait till you guys get to share the moment with your family and friends. Now, mate, I'll take this opportunity while I've got it just before we wrap up. To, to thank you, um, you know, for, for being a champion. You're shining a light on an extremely tough event. 
um, that for me, I don't think gets nearly enough coverage. I've mentioned that to you before and I'll say it again. Uh, you've been through so much in your career um, and anyone that's listened to the first chat will, will know. And if you haven't, go back and listen to it. Uh, to be standing up there on the podium in Tokyo is nothing short of inspirational mate, to me uh, and to all the listeners out there. So on behalf of all the Off The Blocks listeners, just wanted to say a massive congratulations. Thank you for making history uh, and contributing to the sport of swimming in Australia because whether you, lo- whether you like it or not, mate, or whether you know it or not, you are now a part of uh, Australian swimming history. So thank you very much. Man, you make me emotional again. (laughs) I was getting emotional when I was typing it, so I'm glad it came across. (laughs) No, thank you so much. Not a trouble at all. And we'll we'll have you on again soon, mate, for a chat, but I'll let you have some downtime first. I'll let you get to hang with the family and enjoy some time with uh, your fiancé and your family. So thank you very much, mate, for coming on. Awesome. Thank you. Today's episode of Off The Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by our good friends at ProSwim Workouts. Have you heard of Swim Better HQ? They are a fantastic swimming company bringing Olympic athletes together with our young junior Olympic hopefuls of the future. Whether it's swim clinics with Olympian Taylor McEwen or Zoom dryland sessions with Aussie superstar Shana Jack, Swim Better HQ are making sure our young aspiring athletes are getting the opportunity to learn from and speak with Australia's best swimmers. Head over to www.swimbetterhq.com right now to see their new amazing initiative, giving you, the fans, an opportunity to speak with Olympic gold medalist Meg Harris via Zoom. How good is that? So what are you waiting for? Head over to swimbetterhq.com right now. Sign up for a chat with one of our Olympic heroes. I just want to be with you.